0: Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. So last week, as we continued through this Multiply series, Pastor Derek, you preached about Jesus's command for every single one of us who claim to be his followers to go and to make disciples, to make disciples of all nations. So I'm sure each and every one of us, we accepted that challenge, we went home, we went to our schools, we went to our workplaces, we went into our neighborhoods, and we did just that, didn't we? We made disciples. So maybe the question I really need to ask this morning is, how many disciples did each of us really make this week? Because that's our command, isn't it? This is what Christ has commanded us to do, to go and to make disciples disciples. Jesus has made it abundantly clear in scripture that if it is our true desire to follow him, to actually follow him, to call him our Lord, we need to be a disciple maker. And if we aren't making disciples, then chances are we aren't truly following Jesus. Yes, you may believe in him. Yes, you may love him. But if you are not making disciples are you truly following what he has asked you to do it's kind of like saying you're a weightlifter but you never ever go to the gym or you claim to be a truck driver but you don't drive a truck in his book born to reproduce Dawson Trotman he says this he says every person who is born into God's family is to multiply Yet he maintains that Christians are not multiplying. He says, In every Christian audience, much like what we're assembled in today, I'm sure there are men and women who've been Christians for five, 10, maybe even 20 years, but who do not know one person who is living for Jesus today because of them. So are you multiplying? To quote Trotman, he says, Men, where is your man? women where is your woman where is the one that you have led to Christ who is now going with him how many people do you know by name who are one to Christ because of your efforts are you really living for him now let's make one thing clear this morning it's jesus who does the saving amen, amen. but we are his chosen instrument to share the good news to those who do not know it. Now my purpose in asking these questions is not to make you feel guilty if you cannot answer them or or maybe proud if you can. My purpose in asking these questions is to spur you on. It's to spur you on to consider how the life in Christ in you might be multiplied through you in the world. As followers of Jesus, we should be focused. Our main focus in life should be on making disciples. But I want you to hear this this morning, and this is what I really want us to reflect on as we sit here. If we're not doing it with the right motives, we're wasting our time. Or worse yet, I believe we can be doing more harm than good. Jesus wants us to obey his commands, yes, but as we put his commands into action, our motivation will make all the difference. So why do you personally want to be a disciple who makes disciples? Have you ever even asked yourself that question? Like, why do... I, as a follower of Jesus, as one of his disciples, why do I want to make disciples? Because the answer to that question is extremely important for each and every one of us. And the truth is, this morning as I ask this question, maybe you know that you don't. Like you really don't. You have zero interest right now in your walk with the Lord to be making disciples. And for you, maybe the challenge this morning is maybe to take that first step Maybe for some of us it's reluctance. We we still wrestle with this idea that Jesus in order to follow him he commands us to make disciples. Like we struggle with that. We're reluctant. And we have to ask ourselves, do we even really want to be a disciple maker? Some of us we feel like we need to make disciples completely out of obligation. I mean, Jesus commanded it, so I guess I have to do it, right? We don't want to be disobedient. Maybe some of us are willing, but we're just not sure how much we have to offer. But you know what? We know that God wants to use us, and so we're willing, and we just want to let him use us however he desires. Now, wherever we fit in on this spectrum of this disciple-making that I've just kind of thrown out here, I want you to know that it really, every single one of it, it all comes down to our heart and to our motives. Today, we're going to look at the heart of a disciple-maker. Because it's one thing for us to change a person's behavior, but it's quite another to change a person's heart. In the very first sermon that Jesus, Jesus ever preached, he said, "'Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God.'" Jesus wanted the people in that crowd, and he wanted his disciples to be pure in heart. And that meant that they would be purer in their motives. In God's eyes, following Jesus isn't just about doing the right things because Jesus commands it. It's also about having the right motives. God tells us repeatedly throughout Scripture that he cares more about our heart than our actions. If God only cared about religious action, then the Pharisees... These people in the Bible, these leaders who sought to fulfill the law so perfectly, they would have been praised for their efforts. But instead, we see time after time that Jesus criticizes them because of their motives. He said everything they did was for show. It was so other people would see it. In fact, he goes and he quotes the prophet Isaiah in Matthew 15, 8, 9, and he says this. He says, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Looking from the outside in, the Pharisees had to look incredibly impressive. Their commitment and their passion and their attention to detail and following the law. People watching that must have said, man, they're, they're religious. Man, they must love God. Man, they must love Jesus. But God and Jesus they saw them from a different perspective. If you remember 1 Samuel 16:7 it says the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God clearly wants us to be obedient. But as we put God's commands into action, our motivation, our heart behind it is what makes all the difference. And in the time that we have remaining this morning, I want to share three things that I believe will help keep our hearts and keep our motives pure as we are obedient to Christ's call to make disciples. And the first thing is this, disciple makers should be genuine. As disciple makers, we should be genuine. We need to be authentic. We need to be the real deal. If not, people can tell. People can see and people can detect our true motives, and they can tell if our heart's truly in it or not. I feel like we need to be ministering out of joy, not any kind of obligation. You know, when we make disciples out of a feeling of obligation, people notice. And I feel like we also miss out on the joy that God wants us to have as we do his work In Luke 15, Jesus shares three parables that you may be familiar with. He shares the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And each of these stories, it shows the resulting joy in finding that which was lost. It represents how God feels when just one of his children returns to him in their faith. As a shepherd rejoices over the return of the lost sheep, and the woman, she rejoices over the return of lost coin, and the father rejoices over the return of his lost son. Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is God's joy, and I believe this is the joy that he wants each and every one of us to experience when we are used by him. And when we experience the Holy Spirit working through us when we share our faith to lead and to mentor others to become disciples of Jesus, that same joy of those who were lost, they are now found. Jesus wants us to experience this kind of joy and passion in our own life. God wants us to enjoy this. He wants us to enjoy this privilege and this pleasure that each of us can have as we minister to others. And he wants us to be joyful and he wants us to be cheerful in the process when we teach and when we serve and when we give, when we lead people to his son. A very familiar verse is 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, Jesus wants us to give cheerfully, but I believe he also wants us to serve and to teach and to lead others cheerfully in our lives, joyfully in our lives, not reluctantly, not under any kind of compulsion. He wants us to be genuine in our efforts. I think he also wants us to be willing and eager. First Peter 5, 2, it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Did you catch where it said, not for shameful gain? Much of what the Pharisees did was it was all about them, and none of this should be about us. This is not to cast a spotlight on ourselves. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. And it's about helping people come to him. I remember not too many years ago there was a documentary that came out called Jesus Camp. And I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it was very interesting, these young students, some of them in elementary school, middle school, high school, they went to this camp called Jesus Camp, and the, the, the premise of it was great. They were learning how to evangelize. They were learning how to share Jesus with people, but then what the camp would do is it would take these students to places like nursing homes or around the community, and it was like a learning experience. They had to go in, and they had to do that, and all that sounds great. But I remember some of these middle school students, and listen, let's just be fair, some of them just may not have known any better, but they went in there and they started to try to lead people to Christ. And I remember one specific girl, it was almost like she was trying to just put notches on her belt. She would go up and she would talk with uh, this, I just remember specifically, she talked to this elderly man and she went and she told him about Jesus and she said, would you like to accept Jesus today? And the man said, yes, I would. And so she led him through a, a prayer and as soon as they said amen, she says, congratulations, and she just left and walked on to the next person. Because for her, it had become about what she could do. That's not what this is. That's not what we're trying to do. That's not the heart behind it. It's not about us, and so what is your heart? What is your motive in discipling other people? I think it's also extremely important to point out here that it's clear that the Bible takes the role of a teacher very, very seriously. In the book of James, he gives us this warning to those who teach, he does it in James three one through twelve. And listen, let's keep this in context. James is speaking to those who teach. That doesn't include everybody, but I think there's something here I believe is important for every single one of us who are called to be a disciple maker. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. they are, Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And as I said from the beginning of this passage, James' words here are applicable far beyond those who teach, because we all use our tongues. And right here, if, if the mastery of the tongue is a sign of spiritual maturity, then it's for all Christians, amen? For all of us who've been called to make disciples, When I read this, I believe this passage, I think it gives us a terrifying warning about the power of the tongue. While we can speak truth and bring life to people, our words can also be incredibly damaging. Think about what your tongue is capable of. You can have a huge impact on the kingdom of God or you could lead people terribly astray. Know that you are responsible, not just what you tell people about the gospel, but you're responsible for all aspects of your speech. Do you understand that? When it comes to teaching and leading other people and making disciples, we need to let James' words here sink in. I once read a story or just an experience by this Christian author and speaker by the name of Nancy Ortberg. And she had shared at one time she was out and she was doing some last-minute Christmas shopping, but she was having difficulty finding a parking space at the mall. And this is what she writes. She said, I finally spotted this elderly couple walking very slowly to their car. I thought if I can follow them down the aisle and wait for them to get into their car, that parking space will be mine. So I waited patiently with my blinker on. The couple put their gifts in the trunk and as the man opened the door for his wife, I thought to myself, this is no time for chivalry. Get in your car and go. They pulled out slowly and as I was ready to turn in, a man driving this beat up old van pulled in front of me and stole my parking space. So what did I do? I got out of my car and I had a little chat with the driver. I have to admit, had my mother been there, she would have washed my mouth out with soap. I use such interesting words, she says, that he actually backed out of the parking space and gave it rightfully to me. And I have to say, I felt good initially. I thought, I'm good. I stood up for my rights. You know what? I'm a little bit feisty. But then Matthew 15, 18 came pouring into my head. The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. The painful truth is that the Bible says that that the condition of my heart is reflected by what comes out of my mouth and how I live my life. Many days later, she says, I came to the conclusion that I was wrong. And I told God my actions and my words did indeed reflect the condition of my heart. And I wasn't proud of it. Because a disciple maker ministers out of joy. They minister out of their heart. They don't minister out of obligation. They control what comes out of their heart. They control what comes out of their mouth since it is a reflection of their heart. So as disciple makers, we need to be genuine. And secondly, and I think this is very closely related to being genuine, disciple makers need to teach by example. I think one of the worst things we can do as followers or Christians is to teach truths that we are not applying to our own lives. We call this hypocrisy, and it's one of the most common criticisms of Christians in the church in America today. I think we all know what hypocrites are, but let's just make sure. Hypocrites are people who are two-faced or who have double standards. Anybody who says one thing and seems to do another... A recent study I read from the Barna Group about why young people are staying away from the church. It said whether we like it or not, the term hypocritical has been fused into young people's experience with Christianity. It says 85% of the non-Christians that were sur- uh, surveyed in this study, they said they've had a sufficient exposure to Christians in the church but they conclude that present-day Christianity is hypocritical. What this study also showed is, it said that those who refer to themselves as born-again Christians fail to display a whole lot of behavioral evidence of a transformed life through Christ. It found that the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians were statistically equivalent with those claiming to be non-born-again people. When asked to identify their activities over the last 30 days, many of the born-again believers were just as likely as non-believers that found to bet or to gamble, to visit a pornographic website, to take something that didn't belong to them, to visit a medium or a psychic, to physically fight or abuse someone, To have consumed enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk. To have used an illegal non-prescription drug. To have said something about somebody else that wasn't true. To have gotten back at somebody to take revenge, find some measure of revenge for something that he or she had had done to them. And to have said mean things behind another person's back. So this study found, excuse me. This study found that literally there's no difference at all. And one of maybe the most important findings of this study said that of the non-Christians surveyed, about 84% said they personally knew at least one committed, that was the word, committed Christian. Yet just 15% of those 84 thought the lifestyles of Christ followers were significantly different from the norm. This gap speaks volumes about how the world sees Christians. All I can say is this. Don't stay away from the church because you have the idea that there are too many hypocrites in it. There's always room for one more. But all joking aside, let's be serious about this. You could argue that it might be better to never teach at all than to teach without applying it to your own life. Jesus gave a lot of harsh warnings in Scripture towards the religious leaders who were doing this very same thing. Referring to the Pharisees, he says in Matthew 23, 3 through 5, he says, so do and observe what they tell you. So he's talking to his people and he's saying, do what the Pharisees tell you to do, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Listen, hypocrisy in the church has caused so much damage throughout history. Listen to another warning that James gives us in Scripture about this kind of thinking. In James 1, 22 through 27, he says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I hope you caught all of that. Because James is saying that if we hear the word of God, but if we don't apply it to our life, if we don't do what it says, he says we are merely deceiving ourselves. He also points out here that religion without practical action is worthless. So if we're going to make disciples, we need to start putting our faith into action. We need to put it into practice. Because being a disciple maker demands your entire life. It requires everything. It means following Jesus in every aspect of your life. Pursuing him with a wholehearted devotion. Because making disciples is all about seeing people's lives transformed by the power of the word of God. And if you want to see it in others, you need to be experiencing such transformation yourself. I want you to think about it for a moment. What would be the most effective way to lead a new believer how to learn how to pray? Would it be to sign them up for a one-hour class on Sunday mornings on how to pray? Or would it be the fact that you personally invite that person into your quiet time with God and you teach them how to pray? Or what would be the most effective way to teach a new follower in Christ how to study the Bible? Once again, do we just send them to the church and say, hey, maybe they've got a class on how to read the Bible? Or do you sit down with them and you walk them through the steps of how you learned how to study the Bible and how you are currently studying the Bible? I think in order to help somebody else learn how to study, Scripture, we have to know how to study Scripture ourselves. In order to teach somebody how to pray, we need to have an active prayer life ourselves. And this is the beauty. I want you to hear this because as we go through this series and we talk about the importance of discipleship and what it means for us, here's the beauty of helping people become a disciple. Because when we take the responsibility of helping others grow in their faith in Christ, it automatically takes our relationship with Christ to the next level ourselves. So remember, disciple makers teach by example. Now the final thing I wanna look at this morning when it comes to our heart, and when it comes to our motivation in disciple making, probably the most important thing, disciple makers should be motivated by love. You know, lyricist Hal David, he he penned these famous lines. What the world needs now is love. Sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but everyone. You know, when it comes to love, talk is cheap. And I believe every single one of us has within them what it takes to actually love other people. And there's a need. There's a need for Christ followers. There's a need for people to go into this world who are willing to give and willing to serve and willing to live out what real love looks like and not just talk about it. As disciple makers, we are to live a life of love. Because a disciple's heart has a love for other people. And love requires action. Love is more than just a trending topic. It's it's more than a cool thing to just be associated with. Love is not just about our words. Love is manifested in our actions and through our service to other people. In scripture, the apostle Paul, he addresses this idea in the most beautiful terms. He says That gaining knowledge or power, even sacrificing our own bodies is completely worthless apart from love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith... So as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, I think it's important that we understand that the results of a loveless ministry is serious. It says here that even the most impressive and sacrificial actions in our life, they are worthless if they are not empowered by love. You know, many times this passage, it's read during wedding ceremonies, but it's important that we understand why this was written, the context of it. Why did Paul write this? Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and during that time, they were experiencing great division and infighting within inside the church. And his answer to all of this, this problem that they were facing, this fighting, this backstabbing, this infighting, he says, Love. Love is the answer. Love is the answer that will overcome all of this. The Greek word that he uses there is the the word agape. And that meaning to love, it it means a sacrificial kind of love. A love that puts the needs of others above your own. So the question that all of us need to ask ourselves How much do you care about the people around you? When you stand in a crowd, or you interact with your family, or you talk to people in church here, or even in a crowded room full of strangers, do you love them? Do you love them and do you long to see them know God? To share your faith? To have the assurance for themselves of eternal life? And to see them glorify God in every aspect of their lives. Do you have that kind of love? The most loving thing that any of us can do is to share our faith with somebody who right now is apart from Christ. When we do that, we can affect their entire eternity. Our love for others, it should move us. It should move us to become servants seeking to minister to their needs and to show them the love of Christ. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. Or what came into my mind was the old DC Talk song that says, love is a verb. Listen, Paul is challenging us to consider if we are acting lovingly to other people. Because if not, we've become nothing more than a clanging gong or a resounding cymbal. What we've done is we've made ourselves both annoying annoying and irrelevant but fulfilling Jesus's command to make disciples it's about more than having just the right theology or well-developed teaching points it's not about what you know it's not about what you think you know it's all about love you know in his book multiply Francis Chan said if you're not willing to make loving God and loving people your highest priority in life then just stop Seriously, walk away until you've settled this one essential point: Lack of love is the unmistakable mark of death. First John 3:4 says, "We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Who does not love abides in death. We need to understand that a disciple's heart it has a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency to the lost. You know, one of the things we need to recognize is that someone's eternity is always on the line. You know, Jesus, he makes it very clear that those who believe in him will receive the gift of eternal life. But those who don't will be condemned to hell. And my question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that those who do not know Jesus as their Savior will be condemned to hell? Because if you believe that and you're not doing something about that, there's a serious issue going on. Listen, every person matters to God. He wants more than anything for all of his children to spend eternity with him. We have never locked eyes with a person who does not matter to Jesus May this light a fire of urgency within us to move us to get up out of these seats this morning and to seek to save the lost. Here's the big idea this morning BCC, big idea. The heart of a disciple maker is about being faithful to God's call to love the people around you. Let me read that one more time BCC, big idea. The heart of a disciple maker is about being faithful to God's call to love those around you. And before we wrap up this morning, just very quickly, I want to give you five points, five practical things you can do. The first one is this, invite people into your life. Develop relationships with people around you to where you can take the word of God to them. Secondly, start to disciple somebody and begin to pray for them. Pray for the people that you were discipling. Pray that God would soften their heart, make their hearts fertile to the word. Look for ways to serve them. Look for ways to show them you love them, you care about them, you're invested in their life. Next, show them what the the life of Christ looks like in action. Remember, live an example. What did Jesus do? Well, do that. And finally, and this is maybe the most important thing, pray these words, Lord, make me more loving in a supernatural way. Let's do that right now. Dear only Father God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I thank you that he loved us. I thank you that he went to the cross for us. I thank you, God, that he's called us, that he's given us this privilege, this opportunity to serve him with joy out of what he's done. Joy in the fact that lives will be changed. God, give us this passion. Give us this heart. God, help us to love supernaturally like you do. God, put people in our lives. God, just help us to do these things in our life, God, to where we can be a good example. Help us to love. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at BettendorfCC.com. Have a great day.